two boys from the east of London, Ronnie and Reggie Cray. Their mum thought they were good boys, but they could and did deliver a bloody good beating. Those who got in their way got a smack, and those who called them names got a lot worse. There were rock and roll nightclubs, girls, boys, piles of money, and prison sentences. Two of the most notorious people to own London, who in the end were only loved by their mum. This story will take you into the real underground of London, and we're not talking about the two. Welcome to another episode of Blind History. We try to bring you a variety of people. It can't just be the great commanders and statesmen. It also has to be a couple of nefarious characters. The Crays were two brothers, K-R-A-Y, Ronnie and Reggie. I didn't know a lot about these guys until you told me about them. So they were the most notorious gangsters London has ever seen. Violent, intelligent. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't have done what they did. It's crazy what they managed to achieve. Twins, there was a study done four years before the twins were born where they said that at least one twin predisposed to crime is guaranteed, 90% guaranteed the other one will be as well. And they then proved this. And then 1933, these boys were born. <laughs> All right, and so how did they start? I mean, were they born to like a poor family in the East End of London? They were. So it's very important to look back at where they came from. So firstly, the father, Charles Cray, he liked to spend time with the guys. So he married Violet, who was the mom of the Crays, in Bethnal Green, which is East London. It wasn't the best place. No. And it was known for, for its villainy. Mm. Charles, Good word. Yeah. Charles Cray was a proper smose. He used to drive all over the country, selling whatever he could. He loved money. And he would disappear for a week, and then he would come back. So Violet realized that was a lot in life. So when the twins came, she was so excited because she felt like a celebrity, pushing the pram around, the twin pram. Mm -hmm. Where the real learnings came from from the twins was from their grandfather on Violet's side. So, so Violet's dad. Why was he a crook? So he was a boxer. So in that time, it, there was always matriarchies in East London. And the reason being is the men were either drunk or they were brawlers. Or they were killed in the war. Or they were killed in the war. So they didn't last very long. So they were always having funerals. Funerals were always big affairs and in London. So, so this, is, this is a horrible environment for these two to be born yeah. in. So along came the, the grandfather. And he was a complete teetotaler because his dad was a nutcase. Uh, drank like a fish, spent 17 years in asylum. Wow. He would always preach to the twins that, look, drinkers out, drinkers out. And there never were any substance abusers of any sort. Uh, Ronnie became a complete nutter. But Reggie was actually very, very organized and straight. You didn't often see that where they got drunk or anything to that effect. So, so I think the grandfather made a difference. But the grandfather spoke about all the big gangsters that had lived in the, in the Cockney area. And also spoke about Jack the Ripper, which uh, which was just around the corner in Whitehall. So, so this was the inspiration for the for the boys. Yeah, and the dad was also an excellent, a handy amateur boxer. Oh, so the twins straight away thought of that. This is good news, and they used to sit in their grandfather's lap. But the twins used to fight against each other like two ferocious lions, mm. and people thought they'd kill each other, but they never did. Ten minutes later, they were. Smacking each other on the back And the greatest of friends hmm. And when the one lifted his arm The other one would lift his arm It was frightening 
So they were close. really in simpatico the whole time. Exactly, yeah. exactly, very much in sync. So where did their career start? Because I know they ended up owning nightclubs on the West End. I know they ended up being like in a protection racket. And we'll get to all their nefarious deeds later on. But you don't, you don't start off being bad. So they did. <laughs> so, so when they, they just grew up understanding that you, they knew how to take a beating. And they knew how to give a beating because they boxed from a young age. And I think it's quite important to realize that they were identical twins, but they got sick when they were very young and they had to be quarantined. It was the first time ever that they'd been split from their mom and the twins had been split from each other. And it affected Ronnie. Ronnie then after that became very quiet. He was heavier than his brother. Whereas Reggie was always very, he was a talkative guy. He got on very well, loved the ladies and from then on, Reggie was more organized and together. But together, they were formidable. It was incredible. And they, they started beating people up around the neighborhood at early age, 12 years on, and petty crime. But I think the big thing is, is they found an old billiard hall that they took over and made it their club. Right. That was the starting point. And people realized, look, we can use these guys as protection because they never lost a fight. Reggie could have probably been a British champion or a, a world champion in boxing. But, you know, he went, he followed his brother, Ronnie, into crime. And, I mean, they never looked back. <laughs> well, they made a ton of money, and they lived these extraordinary lives. They met everyone they could have possibly wanted to meet. I mean, Frank Sinatra was a regular at their clubs. They knew he was a bit of a gangster, too, it turns Correct. out, in, in, the, in the long view of history. Um, but they, they really had access to everyone because these West End establishments were the kinds of places where – the most important and famous and rich people in all of London society would frequent. But they weren't in the West End in the beginning, so they ruled the East End, but they wanted to. Right. But there was a good old crafty gangster, Billy Hill, yeah, that ruled that side of the world. So they came along, and these guys weren't Billy Hill and his gang, violent. And they tried to fly under the radar, and they got on well with the cops. Long came the craze. We want a piece of the action here. And uh, Billy's, no, you're not going to get it. So they beat the shit out of his um, his gang. And suddenly they, Billy thought, these guys are really something special. So he was basically forced to take them to the races. Okay. And that's how they sort of squeezed their way into the West End. And that's wow. where it started from their perspective. And then when they went into the West End, Ronnie felt he could express himself. He loved young boys. Whereas Reggie, Was he gay? Yeah, he was gay. Oh, okay. So Ronnie was gay. Um, he loved the. He always had an entourage of of young boys. And then there was also ministers and members of government. Lord Boothby. Oh, okay. That, I read about this. Yeah. So they were also gay, and so they hung out together. And they tried to create a political scandal out of it, right? Correct. And the newspaper eventually got involved and published the story that Lord Boothby was having an affair with Ronnie, and Ronnie got upset, and Lord Boothby threatened to sue, and he didn't threaten to sue. He sued. And 40,000 pounds was paid to him. Hmm. The government lost the case, and that really jilted the police. Once again, the craze had shown they could brush away from the law. But when we look at the Teflon Don, and we spoke a little bit in, in the last series about John Gotti, John yeah. Gotti, he was such a flamboyant guy that he wanted to show who he was. He spoke about all their secrets, whereas the craze were very clever. Yeah, They used to shut down people. It was very, very difficult to find them. They knew how to make sure that nobody talked. So they got away with it to a certain extent. But what the cops thought was, if we get a chance to lock them up for some reason, and then we'll get all the people to turn and we'll take them down. And ultimately, that's what happened. There are a couple of other characters in this story. I mean, I, I want to 
know about the detective who actually eventually managed to bring them in because he's quite an interesting character as well. I mean, there's like George Cornell, who's the guy who, who Ronnie Cray shot. Yeah. He was, a member, he was a member of the Richardson gang, right? That's correct. And they were a rival South London gang. I mean, these guys really, they were like the great conquerors of the ancient times, except they were doing it just within the confines of London. Exactly. And this guy was killed at the Blind Beggar Pub, which is still there in Whitechapel. And the day before, there'd been a shootout at another nightclub involving the Richardson gang. And, and these guys just, they presided over all of this like they were untouchable. They pretty much owned London. They did own London, and they weren't scared. And none of these gangs could match the violence that the two Cray brothers had. Did they actually do a lot of the killing themselves? That, so they, they did a lot of the beating up. So just to briefly go back a few years, they were conscripted, much like their father. And their father was conscripted at the Tower of London. That was where the regiment was. And he escaped. And, he, and that's why they never saw their father. But funny enough, the father wanted to discipline the boys. But the boys disciplined the father. They were so strong they beat the father up. <laughs> so then the father decided not to come back anymore. So Violet never saw Charles Cray anymore. But so they were conscripted. And so they came out to their sergeant in their jolling clothes, really mm. all spruced up, shiny dancing shoes, right? double-breasted suits. Where are you guys going? He says, no, we're going out. You can't go out. So <laughs> they said, yes, we can. So they beat the shit out of the sergeant and they dumped a latrine bucket on his head. <laughs> so then, so they obviously were very. And they got to go out there. And they, night. well, they just walked out the door. <laughs> then when, then they said, no, we're going to lock you up now in the military jail. And then they sent in the worst possible brawler sergeant in the army to go and teach them a lesson. Yeah. They found him tied up to a pillar and they burnt a ring around his legs. He was screaming. He was yelping like a pig. And they walked out again. So they were dishonorably discharged. They loved confrontation. And so that was the focal point of the gangs. So the Richardson gang were just nowhere. Yeah, they would never have been able to mount an effective resistance. But what happened with this Cornell fellow, he made a slur to Ronnie. And Ronnie was psycho. Ronnie was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. So he really thought the whole world was going to come to kill him. And being as violent as he was, it was just a recipe for disaster. So this guy just made some offhand comment. Correct. and But like offhand comment on his sexual preference. Oh, right. Okay. And so Ronnie was fed up, broad daylight, went into this pub. The bar girl saw everything, went straight to Cornell, blew him away. And he said that it was the best thing he could ever do. Shot done. him in the head? Shot him in the head. Oh, my God. And then he, he walked out. And he now, said, it's the best thing I've done. Yeah. And the cops came to find out and nobody talked. So, so that wrapped them up. Wow. But later on, you know, once they were in jail, they all talked. They all sung. Well, let's talk about this guy who eventually managed to read them the riot act. And, and that was Detective Chief Superintendent Leonard Nipper Reed. That's him. Of Scotland Yard, who was uh, promoted to the murder squad. And his first assignment was actually to bring down the craze. He's like the, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist in any good story. He's like the good guy to their bad guys. Mm. And refused to let go. He's very strategic. Because they were so closed in as a, as a family, yeah. it was very, very hard to break it. How did he break them? So initially, he got one person to be able to talk. He turned one of Hill's compatriots. But he was, Hill was now living in Monaco or some in Spanish villa. And he spoke. 
and they had enough to bring him in on that. Hmm. And then when they did that, and it was one night, almost like the Knights of the Long Knives, the cops came in and they arrested, I think, over a 100 of these gangsters, of the firm, the, the organization. No, they the called crazy, it the firm. They called it the firm, based very much on the on the Mafia's Murder, Inc. And there was also an FBI guy that was in on it. He was inside, very close to Ronnie Cray. That was enough for them to lock them up. And the minute they did it, then everybody just came pouring through. And, of course, then they, they were arrested and, and they, they were put on trial and they were convicted. Convicted life sentences. And they were sent to jail for life. But they did, I think, they were allowed out to go to their mom's funeral. Correct, yes. In, when like, Violet 1989 died. or something. So Violet died in 1980. They loved their mother. Yeah. Absolutely loved her. And, and she loved them. And she never, ever scolded them uh, right through their, their young careers. <laughs> when people told her how bad they were, oh, my boys, I don't think that's the right story. <laughs> so, but, so when they, you know, they love, especially Ronnie, because Ronnie was, Ronnie had problems, yeah. mental problems. But by then, Ronnie had spent most of the time in the hospital under sedation. But Reggie spent every day training. He spent every day, kept in shape in, in prison. They ran a racket in prison, from prison, especially in the early years. Frank Sinatra was one of their clients while they were in prison. Wow. So they were protecting him, and he was one of their clients while they were in prison. And they were in prison for life. And the first time they'd get a look in on parole was when they were 65. And Ronnie was a Category A prisoner. He was considered like the most dangerous man in, in England. Correct. Even behind bars. Yeah, he was an absolute psychopath. And when he was behind bars, I mean, he nearly killed somebody again. So that's when they started just putting him on sedation drugs. So he spent most of his life, you know, half sedated. Now, Ronnie, I mean, the reason I asked just now, are you sure he was gay? Because when he was asked, he used to say, no, I'm bisexual. I've always been bisexual. He wrote it in his memoirs as well. Yeah. He did have a relationship with a woman too. Her name was Monica in the 1960s. He dated her for about three years. And he called her the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. He um, also is mentioned in Reggie's book uh, called Born Fighter, where they, they talk about each other's relationships and all the rest. And as you say, because they were twins, they were so close, they knew everything about each other. A letter that Ronnie sent to his mother from prison also referred to that girl. If they let me see Monica and put me with Reg, I could not ask for more, was all that he said. Yeah, that's always what he wanted. He never wanted to be apart from Reg. The big thing for Ronnie in his early years was he loved the boys. And he did state, and it's been clearly stated that he's bisexual. Where Reggie, not so much. I think uh, Reggie more than likely was heterosexual. Yeah, he married. He actually married a woman called Frances Shea, and she committed suicide yeah. not long after that. So. But that she couldn't live with them. Yeah, was, well. Actually, <laughs> that was actually was crazy. Huh. But it's also, you know, the craze is a, is a sad story to a certain extent because you have the twins. First of all, Reggie could have been a proper world champion boxer. Hmm. Both of them never lost a fight. But Reggie was very careful. He knew how to wear his opponent down. He was very strategic in the way he did it. Ronnie just wanted to kill them. Then when, when Ronnie went to prison, Reggie flew. He grew their business. He grew the, the organized crime side. He grew their, their nightclub business, all the, the non-illegal parts of the business. In three years that Ronnie was in prison, the business grew 10 times of what it was before. So if only, you know, he kind of needed, they needed each other. But if Reggie had been able to do it on his own, it would have been a legit operation. And he would have gone, if you can say that, inverted commas straight. Yeah. If something happened like Ronnie died. But if Ronnie never died, Reggie was never going to leave Ronnie. It was not in his, 
human capability to leave Ronnie. So that is the sad story about the twins, that there was really an opportunity for for Reggie to live a healthy, long life and, and out Ron, of prison. Ronnie died first. I think he died in 1995, and he was already 61 at that stage, yeah. heart attack. And, and Reggie was allowed to go to the funeral, but in handcuffs. Which is incredible. Yeah. And eventually Reggie, he became a reborn Christian in jail, and then he was released on compassionate grounds by Jack Straw, the former Home Secretary. Mm. Um, and he, of course, died not long after that because of bladder cancer. They died in their 60s, sure. 61 and 65. But, you know, once again, like I said in the beginning, it should never have happened. They got so big. The mafia looked in and they said, we want a piece of this part. The New York mafia came in with their murder ink. And they directed the craze on how they should set up the organization. They had strong mm. links. They were issuing false bonds in Canada. The organization, the money was pouring in. And then they had to suffer the ignominy of not being able to afford at their trial when they're going to be incarcerated a proper lawyer because the money just dried up because they, they never saved anything. So everything just dried up. But what was interesting when they were in jail – Everybody wanted to know about the craze. They wrote books. They were so rich in jail. They had so much money that went to their mother. And the reputation, obviously. And the reputation. And there's still that reputation in London now for these kind of hard East End boys who, you know, are tough as nails and can handle any situation. They probably were the inspiration for a lot of what Guy Ritchie put into movies later on. Correct. Yeah. Hmm. The Cockneys. Yeah. So it was uh, um yeah news. yeah and they and they they absolutely came across London so powerfully yeah. they also just interesting to to note they went to Nigeria <laughs> because there was an opportunity for them to to take over part of the country and they wow. were going to have their own country they had all these funny things going on what an incredible pair of boys they were just phenomenal and their brother was in with them charlie charlie yeah he was in he was in with them but he was a softy but he also went to jail yeah he also went to jail yeah he went to jail the softy in the family the good guy in the family was also in jail but they were you know when you meet somebody you know there's always somebody in this world that's stronger than you and for the life of this story they never found anybody that was stronger than the craze. They decided to go out of their territory and open a nightclub. So almost, you could say, innocently, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. So they had the nightclub, and the local gangsters had no idea who the craze were, and because they come from the east, east London. This is more central London. They, they, they came along, and uh, they said, look, uh, you need to pay us for the privilege of being in our area. And um, the next day, <laughs> the next day, they found these guys lying in a gutter. It was just incredible how strong and frightening. And these boys wanted to do it themselves. Mm. They didn't have henchmen. Exactly, they did it all. They did it all themselves. God. All right. Well, I'm very happy to learn about them, but I'm very glad I didn't meet them in the streets of London. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the award-winning Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. 